Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Teamwork, A Better Way podcast. I'm Christian Napier, and I am joined on a beautiful early spring, crisp March morning by my famous and uh, fabulous co-host, Spencer Horn. Spencer, how you doing? Great. Famous in my own mind, Christian. You know, that's, uh, you know, I, I, I guess... <laughs> good to be oh, with I'd you. Be famous dude is just the sheer number of followers you got on LinkedIn. You got a lot of connections there. So I'll, I'll call you famous. You're about uh, 30 times more famous than I am. Uh, okay. Well, yes, it is a beautiful, uh, crisp spring morning. Yesterday, I went for my normal run and had a nice light powder uh, just covering the trail. And it was absolutely gorgeous. So we had another snowstorm on the first day of spring. It was it was wonderful. Uh, yeah, we we just got a little dusting of snow, not too much, and and none of it stuck here. Uh, but uh, and, and we can use it, right? We 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 need all the moisture. So yes, 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 yes. All right. Well, I'm super excited to really dive into our topic today uh, because it's about uh, what do we call it? Disagreeing agreeably or agreeably disagreeing? <laughs> uh, Absolutely. How to how to disagree agreeably, which is really about conflict, isn't it? It is. It's about conflict. And, uh, you know, you and I, we we think similarly on many things, but there are some things that we may have disagreements about, but that doesn't, um, it doesn't prevent us from actually having a productive relationship. And so if, if I understand correctly from what you've been telling me and, uh, you know, some recent articles, there was an interesting article about this in the Harvard Business Review uh, this month. This is a pervasive problem. Well, yeah. I mean, if you just think about what's going on today in society, we have disagreements and conflict and animosity about so many things. There's frustrations, there's fears, there's even, you know, a, a, a real war going on, which is a, a form of destructive conflict. But we're divided politically. We're divided over vaccine mandates. We're invited, you know, divided over working remotely versus in, in the office, you know, hybrid, all these different things. And and so, you know, we're having huge turnover in the workplace and people are deciding that stress isn't worth it anymore to, to trade that for a paycheck. And so why in the world would we want to address disagreement? Well, because we want to be able to do it agreeably. We want to be able to do it productively. We want to reduce that, that stress. And, and, and so, you know, we want to go from where we're not working well, to, to it's just it is proven over and over again, Christian, that when we learn how to be productive in the right way, it, it have conflict in a productive way, excuse me, our strategy is so much more effective. Our ideas and innovation are are more creative. It's proven. And and so we we really get to do that. And so I, I want to give you a so we've, we've talked a little bit about micro, uh, excuse me, macro uh, disagreement. Now let's look at a micro disagreement. I was talking to a, a client this fairly recently. It was a construction client and one of the, the uh, project managers was not holding their team accountable for some safety violations. And so the leadership and especially the CEO, they're really working hard to in, introduce this culture of safety, which you know you think everyone would, would want. But this project manager felt like it wasn't, you know, didn't want to do it, didn't want to hold people accountable. There's a form of conflict, right? Plus, when they started talking to it, the leadership started talking to this project manager about it. He literally walked out of the room, unwilling to engage. 
these things are happening every day in the workforce. I am talking to organizations that have different departments, usually sales and production that have differing goals. You know, sales is all about, let's bring more business in as much as we can do. But production's like, we have to deliver all this in a timely manner and we're overworked and understaffed and we can't, we can't deliver. And so there are naturally built intentions within organizations and in, in families as well. And so what happens is, is that, you know, how do we, uh, people who are listening to us right now, I'm sure have experienced similar conflict. As a matter of fact, there's some research on that, Christian, right? I mean, what, what is the, what does the data say it from, from 2021 anyway? Well, according to the authors of this uh, Harvard Business Review article, Managing a Polarized Workforce, which is highly recommended reading, uh, I, I, I think everybody should check it out. Yeah. Uh, their research shows that, uh, or their polling shows that 86% of people in the workforce experience this kind of uh, uh, destructive conflict at work, and they spend on average three and a half hours a week dealing with it. So I just think, think about your entire organization spending almost 10% of its uh, uh, capacity in trying to uh, resolve unproductive conflicts. It's uh, a major challenge in organizations today. It is. And, and I think three and a half hours is probably generous, uh, you, you know, in terms of well, maybe on the short side, because it, and, and people are talking about just spending time with, with personal drama and, and disagreements. And it is time that they're not spending working or solving problems. And it's, and it is real. So, so why does it happen? You know, we've talked a little bit about that. There's, there's conflicts about scarce resources. People are passionate about their perspectives. How we communicate also creates conflict. For example, one of the things I do in my communication workshops is I actually have, you know, if we think about the, 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 just at the high level, the four cornerstone traits, there's so much more to personality and behavior than, than those. But to, to demonstrate, Christian, let's just simplify. Let's say we have high dominance, high extroversion, high patience, um, and then high conformity. If, you know, when I ask the class that are high pace to describe the personality of high dominance, it's usually they're aggressive, they, they're uncaring, they are... Um, bullies, I mean, all kinds of words like that, right? And and then we ask the dominant, high dominance to describe the, the high patient. And they're like, oh, they're pushovers, they're wimps, they can't make decisions, you know, they're they all these weak sauce uh, type of descriptions. Then we ask the high conforming to describe what they think of high extroverts. Oh, they're obnoxious, they're loud, they're too, you know, they're, they're unprepared, they're not organized. Then we do the reverse. High extroverts describe high conformity. They're, you know, they're no fun. They are obsessive about details. They are, you know, all this sort of these negative perspectives. And we bring these negative biases. And I ask them, so do any of these descriptions that you've just come up with make you feel uncomfortable? And they say, yes. So why do I do this? It is possible that how we we behave naturally makes other people uncomfortable. So I think one of the things that we have to understand is that sometimes there's built-in tension just by how we not only see the world, but how we talk and how we behave. And when we start to recognize that we can make other people uncomfortable, that's part of the self-awareness that it takes to start to help us to uh, agree, to disagree more agreeably. Well, I 
I hear you talking about this, and I think one of the reasons that that I hesitate is because I do have these biases, and I don't want to engage in any kind of a, a potentially confrontational uh, conversation, and so I just avoid it. And uh, and all right, so maybe that's okay in some cases, but maybe in other cases, I am really limiting my view of the world because I am avoiding, you know, I'm making a conscious effort to avoid hearing other people's viewpoints or avoid, I avoid interacting with certain people that I don't feel comfortable around, which causes us then to operate in silos, uh, which then causes us to not be as productive. And you have these conflicts, as you mentioned, between the sales team, and the production team, and, and so on and so forth. No, you're, you're exactly right. And, and then those views become more and more polarized because we see less and less of, of other people's perspectives and, and more and more of just, just our own. And, and that's, that's very dangerous. And, uh, you know, so, so let, let's talk about some of the, you know, the challenges of, of not addressing conflict. First of all, we're not as productive because we're not getting all those perspectives. We are um, letting feelings fester, or as you just said a minute ago, I'm only seeing things one way, and and that leads to groupthink and poor decisions. That leads to ultimately more tension down the road. We're just kicking it down the road. But there are people on this call right now, Christian, that I think that when we talk about conflict are literally their heart starts beating and they start getting um, anxious about it. And so one of the things that, that I like to do is to, to do a little exercise. And this is a little unscheduled, but if you don't mind, let's do it. Because my goal and your goal is to, is to bring more conflict into teams, however, the right kind of conflict. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to just take five deep breaths. Okay, ready? Push everything you're thinking about out of your mind. If you're listening, five deep breaths. Just push everything out of your thoughts right now. Now, I want you to bring to mind somebody that you need to thank. Someone that in your life that you are grateful for, that has done something for you, that came into your life, that did something positive or had a positive impact on you. Now, I want you to say thank you, and you can do it in your mind. You don't have to do it out loud, but thank you as if they were here right now. Now, one of the things that this does, Christian, is gratitude is so powerful because it brings in, I don't know if you, if you feel a little more relaxed, but it increases your serotonin and oxytocin, which helps us to relax, which helps us feel lighter which helps us feel more trusting and it helps to defeat adrenaline, noradrenaline and cortisol, which are the stress hormones. And this will help us to have a more productive conversation. I, one of the other things is, it, so once you relax, conflict is normal. We already know that. So normalizing conflict is a way to help make disagreement more agreeable and, and I want to do a poll, which is a way to normalize conflict. I want, if you're watching this right now, I'm going to put up a poll 
and it has a QR code and you can scan it and just it, it's safe it's goes to it goes to poll EV you don't have to put your name in but I'd love it if you take a picture of this I'm gonna switch my camera here and uh, go solo for a second so if you take a picture of that screen right now um, you can tell us your opinion about conflict how you feel about it and uh, like I said you can skip your name you don't have to put any of that in there but do you feel like you're screaming and running away when you hear the word conflict Christian are you hyperventilating but you're still here meaning you know <laughs> it's I'm really nervous I have one foot in one foot out I'm curious about conflict but I'm but I'm still a little nervous or I'm, I'm like bring it on so I, I'm going to leave that up there for just a second. But but having this type of conversation helps people realize how they feel about about conflict, and and this is a, a way to normalize it and make it more uh, natural to to think about and 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 talk about. So I, I've left that up for a second. I don't know how many people are are watching or listening right now, but I'm going to see if we have any responses and we're getting them. Um, we're getting them live. Here they come. Okay, so some people are confident about it. Christian, were you able to respond? <laughs> I, I I did. Um... There it is, screaming and running. So we have we have people on the opposite end of of, of conflict, and we have oh, oh look, somebody else is listening, curious. And willing but nervous, that's great. That's coming in. If if anybody still wants to to put that scanner on, here's the here's the poll, and you can see those answers as they come in uh, come in live. So there's there's a few of us on right now, and uh, but it seems like we have some polar opposite views of 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 conflict. Uh, yeah. I'm definitely the screaming and running away kind of person. And, <laughs> and, uh, and the next one, which was I'm hyperventilating, but still here is only because I'm forced to be here. Right. I, <laughs> I, I, I will try to avoid it at, at, at all costs. And, and it's just part of my personality. It's really not comfortable for me. So I have to be, I have to be made very comfortable in order to be in a situation where I feel open to potential conflict. So we get to talk about some other things to help us normalize conflict. And people avoid conflict for a couple of reasons, Christian. They avoid it because they fear things will get wildly out of control and that it will become personal. And this is really a, a myth. You know, people have this feeling that if I engage in conflict, somehow it, it, it could be bad. And and that's really just our, our perspective of kind of what I call awfulizing. We think of maybe usually the, the worst case scenario. And I, I don't know if you've ever heard of what's called the Johnny Carson scale. But like it goes from one to a hundred. I think, you know, one is like a paper cut and a and hundred is like you're dead. But, you know, maybe 75 is the loss of, you know, a, 
an ear or a limb. I don't know. I mean, it's it could be awful, right? But if you think about it in that term, how bad can it really get? Well, maybe a five. <laughs> Or, you know, it's, it's, it, the world is not going to end, but sometimes we just over exaggerate how bad it, it can be. So that's one challenge that we have. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting um, that you talk about that because we all, uh, we all game it out in our mind, right? We, we, we know sometimes that we're going to be in a, when you know you're going to be in a situation where you might have to be working with people that you don't necessarily uh, agree with them, you start to game these situations out in your mind. And usually those games go to, as you mentioned, the worst case scenario, right? Yes. Uh, so, uh, you know, in, in family relationships, you game these things out in your mind. And at the end of the pretend conversation you're having in your head, you're getting divorced, Right. Or you are estranging yourself from your uh, children or family members because you just see this playing out so horribly. And in real life, it never really plays out that bad. It, it's so true. Hopefully. And that's what we call awfulizing or catastrophizing, right? We're just thinking the worst case scenario. And, and to simplify, you know, take away the Johnny Carson, what's the worst thing that could possibly happen? What's the best thing that could possibly happen? And maybe the reality is somewhere in the middle, just to just to help us get uh, a little more grounded. But also, I think what happens, what we get wrong about conflict is that we think people that disagree with us just get it wrong, that they're not smart, that they're not intelligent in some way. And I see that in this whole vaccine discussion, right? Some people on each side think you are so uninformed and you're so wrong that, you know, we, we, we come into this argument thinking the other side doesn't have information when in fact we do. And one of the things that you said earlier is as we separate ourselves and, and only surround people that agree with us, we watch news sources that agree with us. We, we live by people. You know, we talked in, in the past that red states are getting redder and blue states are getting bluer. So we're now separating into, into more groupthink as a nation. Then we only see those truths that we want to see and not seeing the fact that sometimes the other side is also educated and informed from their perspective. Oh, that's right. Uh, which is a bit of a challenge, right? Because uh, the, the common... The common conception today is that we have people that are living in separate realities, right? Right. So, uh, and and one of the outcomes of that way of thinking is to to is it's it's quite binary. Um, my re reality is correct, or your reality is correct, and we don't really allow for any kind of uh, mixed reality. And one thing that I also I thought was quite interesting about uh, the authors in the in the Harvard Business Review talking about this diffusing of fears, uh, disagreeing with others, is to really focus on on behaviors and not on character. You know, yeah. uh, because often, like like you said at the outset, well, we think uh, people that are high dominant are bullies and and tyrants and 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 these are character traits. Uh, as opposed to actually focusing on on behaviors or tasks, and so you know, it's a useful tool I think to help us put aside uh, the potential negative feelings is to just focus on behavior and not focus on the 
real or imagined characteristics of a person. That's right. And and the, the, those two types of, of focuses are called cognitive and affective. So when we have disagreement, we want to disagree about ideas and and really views, but not about the person. So when we focus, it's on the cognitive disagreement, not the affective, which is you're dumb. Uh, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. That That's when we when we become personal. And that's when people then truly do become defensive. And and some people actually avoid conflict because they're certain that it's going to go, you know, to that the other person's going to be defensive. And so I think that's, um, there's, there's two things that are happening there. Sometimes, like you said, people are conflict avoidant. So they are, they're pretty sure that they're going to get defensive or somebody else will get defensive. Or somebody is assuming that just because I'm dealing with you, Christian, I know you're going to get defensive. Therefore, I put myself in a superior position. I can't have that argument because I might hurt your feelings. And so then we will avoid that type of uh, you know, discussion that, that will lead to conflict. Uh, one of the things that was quite interesting, I thought, in terms of the solutions, you know, in, in addition to diffusing fears, was uh, you know, cultivating an open mindset. And I'm curious... You know, you work with a lot of business leaders. What do they do or what do you recommend that they do to actually cultivate an open mindset in their organizations? So the great, great question. And, and one of the things that, that I do is ask my leaders to mine for conflict. So, for example, if you're having a meeting and you as the leader put out an idea, hey, I think we should do X. Well, a lot of people feel like we should just, everybody should jump in lockstep behind that. Oh, that's a great idea. Let's figure out how to make that work. But I would suggest that as a leader, one of the things you do is if you do not get disagreement, insist that we cannot move forward with the agenda until someone tells me why this is a bad idea. Actually ask for people to disagree with you and make it safe for them to do so. And when they do so, thank them. Thank you so much for that. Now let's consider that as we're considering this idea that you know we're talking about or this investment or, or this new direction that we're going to take. I want to hear why this is a bad idea, not why it's just a, a good idea. And if it is, how can we make it better when somebody steps up? Now, it doesn't mean that you know, we're, we're going to throw out the idea, but we may consider things that we hadn't thought of before. And when we make it safe to do that by setting the example by saying, first of all, I want you to speak up. And secondly, when you do, thank you. I find sometimes in organizations, it almost goes the other way around where uh, you get a lot of people who will have all kinds of reasons to dis to to explain why something won't work. And, <laughs> uh, and, 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 uh, and and uh, sometimes you you need to ask that question. Well, well what if we could make it work? Right. You know, we both last last week we had a a, a great uh, a great uh, a meeting. So that's uh, the disagreement I'm talking with, about, right? If, if everyone's yeah. saying it won't work, the, the 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 contrary opinion is well, well, what if it could? And and one of the things that that type of questioning does, Christian, is is it, it, it actually gives you permission to, well, it, it, you use words that are not harsh, like this will, or you're wrong. It is, well, okay. I, I, I appreciate your, your perspective and I can see how that might be a concern for you. So let's just consider 
what if it if it could work? I mean, if we were just to suspend our our disbelief for a moment, what would have to happen in order for that to it to be true? And so, in a way, that is that is a, a a form of disagreement that I'm talking about. It's just in it's in the opposite way where I said, you know, why is this a bad idea? If everyone's saying it's a bad idea, why? How could it work? What what would make it a good idea? And so that is creating that that space to have that what if which is a disagreement, right? It's a different, it, it, it's a different perspective. Well, and the, you know, another thing, as you talk about that it actually touches on another uh, key point, which is uh, we need to think, we need to, we need to carefully consider the words that we use when we're talking with people. Like you said, if you come out of the gates, well, well that's a stupid idea then you know you you're setting yourself up for unproductive conflict and so uh like you saying just phrasing things a little bit differently a little bit more positively you know one thing that i have noticed in my in my work is that you have to be extremely careful with the question why oh yeah because when you ask why this why that then people can oftentimes become very defensive like why did you do this why did you do that uh rather than asking questions more about how uh and and or what question or what questions which which uh i think show a little bit more intellectual curiosity exactly uh, so when you as a person position yourself as the judge jury executioner by asking a lot of why questions you're not trying to put other people on trial right that's not productive so you've got to be a little bit more careful about how you approach people and the questions that you ask Right. And, and so you, you've brought into another element of, of having, uh, I think, being able to, to disagree agreeably, and that is to be curious, curious about where other people are coming from. And, and, and it takes work to, to, to create an environment or a culture where people are curious and not just sticking with their own ideas. But when somebody does disagree, it's like, well, I, I, tell me more about that. I'd like to know more about that. And, and so using the language, what you said, if that's a stupid idea, that's an example of affective disagreement. It's personal, right? But instead, it's like, you know, I'm curious, Christian, um, tell me more about that. What, what has you thinking that? And, and you know, tell me, tell me where that comes from because and, and, I'm, I'm really wanting to understand at a deeper level. And there's actually, one, and I teach this when I, when I work with my executives on coaching, how they can coach their people. They have to learn how to ask good questions. And I always ask them to avoid why at the beginning. Now, you can ask why as a follow-on question, but as an initial question, it, it does create defensiveness. So, so words are, are, are very, very important. Can I, I, I want to share one other thing that has us really struggling with the idea of, of conflict. And I'm going to uh, show this picture. Have you ever seen pictures like this in, 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 the, in the office where you have like this beautiful, you know, team of people rowing on a, on a calm river and they're wearing these tight uniforms and at the top of this picture, what does it say usually? Teamwork, right? Yeah. Teamwork, unity, you know, yeah, exactly. that kind of stuff. And so we have this opinion that what a, what a high performing team is, is that we're all rowing in the same direction and, and we, we all look exactly the same. That's not reality. The reality is, is that sometimes we're hitting each other's oars and the water is coming over the boat and it's, the water is not calm, but we have these, these biases of what we think an effective team is. And that, you know, that, that there's, 
no disagreement. So one of the processes that I do, Christian, is I actually get people to have go through a process that's called um, normalizing conflict by understanding what each department brings. So for example, I don't know if you can if you can see this, uh, it's not showing up right. But you know, what is the unique value of this role on the team? So what you do is you you identify each department. So you've got marketing, sales, accounting, human resources, operations, and project management. And then go through these three questions. What is the unique value of the role on this team? And what should this person be paying attention to that no one else is? What does accounting pay attention to that no one else is? You know, what is project management paying attention to that no one else is? Risk and, and, and you know, budget, just like, you know, sometimes accounting. What is sales paying attention to? Bringing revenue in and, and they're not so much paying attention to some of those other things. Um, and number two, on which stakeholders is this role focused? Whom does it serve? Who defies, who, whom defines success? And then number three, what is the most common tension that this role puts on team discussions? And what one thing does the person in this role have to say that frequently makes others bristle? When you do this with all of the departments in the room, you start to realize, oh, first of all, tension is baked in just by our roles naturally. And so then we start to realize that I, I get where they're coming from because they have different goals. They have different people that they report to. And, and so now one of the things that I think is very helpful, Christian, is we start to see things from another's perspective. And this is a really important point in teaching people to be open-minded. We have to start to see things from, from different perspective. Now, Part of becoming open-minded, let me back up to that thing I asked you earlier about a question when I said, you know, ask open-ended questions. I usually teach people how to reframe and, and do a whole process of open-ended questions. I like what the article talked about, and it's called the, the listening triangle. And they put a little twist on what I was teaching, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to use it. And, and what, do you remember what the process was or... Yeah, the triangle is uh, uh, listen, no, ask, listen, and then uh, restate. But, but so first of all, what you do is you ask that open-ended question, and then you restate based just to make sure understanding. And then secondly, or thirdly, you ask the same question, maybe slightly different, but you ask it again. Why? Because you want to confirm their view and understand their perspective. And it's really something that, that says, hey, I wanna understand at a deeper level. Here's what I think you're saying. So I'm gonna ask it again, maybe a slightly different way because we wanna understand people's motivation, where they're coming from. This helps us, Christian, to really put ourselves in other people's shoes. It helps us to demonstrate curiosity. It actually helps us to learn. And when we have this learning mindset, that helps us to disagree much more agreeably. Well, how do we then build this culture, uh, this open-minded culture that allows people to disagree or, or agree 
no, disagree agreeably. I'll get that right by the end of this. <laughs> right. <laughs> disagree agreeably. You know, one thing that the authors point out is to um, engage women, you know, leverage women. Uh, of course, the authors are women. And uh, uh, and and so uh, that's interesting, right? Uh, because I, I remember distinctly working on an Olympic bid uh, and the leaders of this bid were all male and the consortium that we put together to deliver this bid uh, from a technical, you know, the technical side of the bid, the production side of the bid, the, the international relations side of the bid, uh, et cetera, all of them were male. And so you basically had meetings where people were just trying to show, well, who's the alpha in this room, right? And uh, <laughs> hey, there was a lot of chat. This, this really does happen. This, really this happens. There's a lot of chest thumping and, and and I'm curious, you know, what this, you know, what the authors are thinking about here by leveraging more women, getting more women involved in leadership and decision making in an organization instead of being led by a bunch of men. You know, I, I think it's a couple things. First of all, in, in my personal experience, Christian, it, it in most cases, when there's disagreement, women, for the most part, are are more able to to just be open to that, right? They're, they're typically more vulnerable. They're more, okay, I, I, to consider those, those options. And I find that when I, you know, 75% of the executives that I coach are, are women. First of all, I think they're, the reason is, is because they're, they're wanting to learn. They're wanting to get feedback. They're wanting to, to improve. And so that means that they're usually, in my experience, this is, this is from, from my experience, that they are willing to hear different perspectives. They're willing to hear how they may, how they can do things better. And so they're more willing to be receptive to feedback or, or criticism. And just by the, the, the words that they use, they, they make it easier to have that, that disagreement in, in the room, I think. And I think that's kind of what, what the, what the authors were saying as well is, is leverage some of those natural talents that they, they bring to a, uh, to a fight, so to speak. Right. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, we're, we're, we've gone past our time. We usually try to keep it in 30 minutes and here we are. I just look at the, the, the clock. Ah, and the forget the older. clock. But Spencer, <laughs> uh, help us wrap it up. You know, give us some final thoughts about agreeing to disagree. You know, so, so remember that, um, that, that conflict is going to happen. And, and there's more than just different values and, and perspective and views on things. There's behavior. There's all of this. And, and how we show up really, really matters. And so one of the things that I'm talking to, hopefully, leaders on this, this call is that you set the example. Soften the tone, the words that you use. Avoid words like always and and everything and you know it'd be more you know sometimes or it's likely or it's possible uh you know there are so many we i could share i, I actually have all kinds of examples of of conflict which which i which i didn't show but there is a there is a continuum of conflict and i want you to think of this visually in the beginning you have normal relations then you have you know productive engagement and then you have creative tension that's really where we want to get where we have the creativity zone. When it gets beyond that, we start to lose trust. And I want you to think of it in this term. I mean, think of a violin. 
violin has these strings that if they're not, if the strings are not tight, there's no music that can be played. But if you tighten them just the right amount, now you get the vibration that can create beautiful music. But if you tighten that too much, the string breaks. And so as a leader, you've got to be able to catch conflict early and engage in a way that will make it more productive. And here's an idea that I recommend, and that is actually create a document, what I call a rules of engagement or, or safety agreements. And this can be a subset of an overall team agreement of how they operate. And one of the things that, that I have the team do is, is decide how they're going to behave when conflict happens and to create a, a, a constitution, so to speak, of, of, of conflict. And so one of the things that I do is, here's an example of some of those things that, that you could come up with uh, to have your, your rules of engagement. Number one, assume positive intent. If someone is disagreeing, assume that they have the best interest of the organization um, or, or you at heart, even if that's not apparent right in the, way, right in the beginning. N number two, be vulnerable. Be open to different perspectives. Be curious, right? Focus on facts. You know, what do we know for sure? Avoid drama and opinion. What do we know for sure? And if we don't know for sure, then, then let's not catastrophize or awfulize as we talked about before. Engage. No checking out. Some people are wanting to run away screaming, right? And, and I actually had a, a client that had one person on the executive team that just instead of engaging, he would just say, you know, everything's fine. Whenever they did the check-in with the team, he wouldn't be vulnerable, wouldn't get it. And it really put off the rest of the team. And it set the tone for the meeting that they weren't going to be honest and weren't going to be open with each other because this one person was was feeling like, well, I, what, what point does it make? I'm not going to engage. No one listens to me anyway. So it was just like, I'm fine. Retweet. And, um, and when somebody feels unsafe, here's another example of an agreement. Time out. And how do we reestablish that trust and feeling of, of safety? So that's an example of something that, that can be done. Um, Something else that can be done is really go through what's called the Thomas uh, Kilman conflict mode so you can understand how you how you show up with with conflict. There's so many things, Christian, we could spend. I, I, I have so much material that we could talk about, but I would end with this. Be an example as a leader and be willing to listen to different perspectives and make it safe for people to speak up. And I, I think that would would make a huge impact. What do you What do you think, Christian? What did I miss? Uh, <laughs> well, like you said, we could go on, on and on for hours. I, I know that you specialize in this area and you do a lot of work with organizations, and it's more than just having a thirty minute conversation. But it might be, uh, you know, half day, full day, even multiple day uh, workshops and seminars and things to uh, over periods of time to help people and organizations uh, learn to agreeably disagree. So if there are people out there that want to, that are suffering from this uh, uh, situation who have unproductive conflict in their organizations and they want to resolve it, what's the best way for them to reach out and, and get in contact with you, Spencer? Uh, they can join me on uh, LinkedIn at, you know, 
Spencer Horn. You just look me up there. You'll find me or go to altiumleadership.com. That's our website. That's A-L-T-I-U-M leadership.com. Or email me at spencer at altiumleadership.com. Christian, how about you? How, how are people to, to get in touch with you? Uh, yeah, you can you can uh, look me up on LinkedIn as well, Christian Napier, or uh, you know go to my one of my websites. Uh, <laughs> we'll choose uh, Raconto this week, uh, Christian at Raconto.io, R-A-K-O-N-T-O.io. All right. Well, hold on before we go. Don't don't go just yet. We have a special guest coming up next Tuesday, and uh, that is going to be Tuesday at 10 a.m. Mountain Time. And uh, our guest is coming to us all the way from uh, Romania. And the, the topic, her name is Awana Sarbu. And she is a, an attorney that is uh, highly successful. And she is going to be talking to us about the topic is team spirit in a world dominated by lone wolves. And so you're definitely going to want to join us for that. It'll be a, a fun discussion. It'll be great to have uh, uh, Awana with us next week. I'm super excited for that, Spencer. I can't wait. So yes, everybody, put it on your calendars, uh, Tuesday, 10 a.m. Mountain Time, and we'll we'll talk with Luana about being a team spirit in a in a in a lone wolf environment. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, everyone. Please like and subscribe to our con- our podcast, and we'll talk with you again soon.